0: We have a lot of things to read over, and I even cut one out, which I really don't like skipping over. So I reserve the right to go back. let <laughs> the record, record show that I may go back. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens. We are not finishing chapter 11 here tonight. For anyone who thought we might, we are going to cover most of two verses. But like I said, there's a whole lot of other things we are going to read. And a little word of warning, when we get to the third section, not for anyone here, but for those that are on Facebook, uh there will be a section I will warn you about that if there are small children in the room, people with sensitive ears, you may want to remove them for a little bit. I'm going to read some of the things from uh, that are written not in the Word of God, but in uh, the book of Maccabees. that talks about some of these folks that the writer of Hebrews may have in mind. And it is pretty gruesome in his account so we'll give those folks that warning i will warn again and it'll be um uh i don't know at least five or ten minutes probably till so if we have any young ones listening just want to make sure we give those words of warning for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have only mute whatever it is that you want to do we'll tell you when it is and when that comes up but as we put up on facebook here today there is the faith that overcomes battles and the faith that overcomes death. And this is what we're going to be looking at in this service tonight. Uh, and one of the examples, there was a person of faith who did not succeed in getting the answer that they wanted. It was basically a prayer failure. And we're going to look at what they did after the prayer failure. Because how many times have we had prayer failures? where well, we have prayed for a particular thing and it didn't come. And it's not like we can continue to wait. It just it's it's past it's it's past that point, and it didn't come. So we're going to look at what happened in that particular example, as we look at these heroes of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, quenched the violence of fire. We talked about that last time, with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they quenched the violence of fire, and between them and Daniel. We took a look at how uh, Hebrew says they did it and they said God did it. And we looked at those particular things to help us out with that. But here, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now, escape the edge of the sword. Uh, it's hard to figure out exactly what his... his um, currents there. A lot of people went into the battle and there were swords there and they came out and were alive. Many times David went into battle and came out alive and the one time when he almost died, they said, alright, that's it for you. You know more battles. But all the other times, of course, uh, he escaped the, the, the sword and many others probably as well. It's a really general one, but he's, even though it may have occurred very often, it's still God that was involved in it. So just because something happens often doesn't mean it's any less God. Out of weakness were made strong. We looked at this when Samson was mentioned. This is probably something that was about with him because he was made weak when he lost the anointing and then was made strong. Um, and here's the one that I reserved the right to come back to because I love this story and I didn't like having to skip over it, but in order to get to the other things that we have on tonight, we had to, to skip over this one. And it's a story we don't, we don't get to cover that often. We have, but not that often. And it's one of the... the great stories in the Old Testament and that is the story of Jonathan when he went into battle and he and his armor bearers started slaughtering Philistines and started an entire victory right from that. So we'll take a look at that maybe. I'll reserve the right to go back to that one and spend some more time with it. But became valiant in battle. As the battle was going on, the Spirit of God basically came upon these people and they just became fierce in battle. Uh. No better example than David's 300, his 30, and his 3. As the Bible spends a lot of time going over each detail, what each person did, uh, these were part of the 30. They were fantastic, but they didn't quite attain to the level of the 3. And then these were in the 300. They were fantastic in the things they did, but they didn't quite make it to the level of the 30. And so go over, the, and the, some of the stuff that they had done, it just was, uh, the inspiration we said before of, of movies like Rambo. And, uh, uh, who's that other guy that, uh, Sylvester Stallone played? What was his name? In the, in the... No, Sylvester Stallone, bef- I don't know, before, probably after Rocky. Uh, he's the, the, the Vietnam guy, Vietnam vet. Um, oh, it is Rambo. Mm-hmm. There we go. There was another one I was thinking of and I can't think of who, who that is now. But anyway, movies of that nature, where you have one person doing such, such phenomenal things. Well, they were actually true in the in the Bible, and it was by the inspiration of God. So you may look at that, well, this is violence, this is killing people, but they were people who came against the people of God. And when you come against the people of God, God will put his anointing on folks to get you taken out. And that's what he did. Over and over and over and over and over. Many times this was done. So, turn to flight the armies of the aliens, Jehoshaphat against Moab and Ammon, and others that joined this battle in Second Chronicles chapter 20. We, of course, know, know that one and how uh, the faith that Jehoshaphat was involved and the things that went on with that. His, of course, is the battle where the praisers went in front. Hezekiah against the Assyrians in 2 Kings chapter 18. A very large group. And Hezekiah had told... They had just conquered the, the northern tribes. And Hezekiah told all the people when they come, they're surrounding the city, he says, don't say a word. And they all listened. They didn't say a word. And that's pretty tough to get an entire city worth of people to not talk and not respond. But they had done so. In verse 35, it reads this way, Women received their dead raised to life. Now, in the Old Testament, we can think of two occurrences where women received their their dead raised to life. The first one is the widow's son. And we are going to take some time to read that one in First Kings chapter 17. In verse 17, Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him up to the upper room and when he was where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? So the widow blames Elijah, and Elijah blames God. I guess he's thinking I didn't do it, so it must have been God. (laughs) And he stretched himself out in the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he re- revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> He's up there sweating it out, but he comes on down. <laughs> no problem. It's all done. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord is, is in your in your mouth is the truth. Now she said before in verse eighteen, "O man of God, called him a man of God," and here now she says, "Now I know that you're a man of God." Mm-hmm. Now she knows. Mm-hmm. You would think that when God multiplied the the wheat, mm-hmm. the flour, and when He multiplied the oil, you would think that would tell him, <laughs> "This is God. This is the man of God." No one. He's not doing that for anybody else. It's just these guys, this is it. And I guess she just kinda got used to it. And so this is just the way things go. But now that her son has been delivered from death, well now I know that you're the man of God. So I put this in your outline for you. And this is an important lesson to learn from this one. Being preserved from something unseen does not have the same impact as being saved from something seen. How many times has God preserved our life by things we never saw? But we never saw them. So it doesn't minister to our faith the same way that something that is seen is. When I see that the accident happened and it could have happened to me but it's not because God told me or did something and directed me away from it. That's easier for me to say glory to God, praise God. I know that God's alive. I know that God cares for me. But if God moves it out of the way steers us in a direction other than that, and we never see it. It doesn't uh, doesn't minister to us as much. Just because you don't see the deliverance of God doesn't mean that you didn't have it. And we ought to always just count that, that God has been faithful and delivered us every single day. Father God, I just thank you that you preserve me to continue to do the will of God, to continue to do what you called me to do down here. And even though I may not have seen it, I thank you for your delivering power. I thank you for the way that you showed yourself strong for me today. Even though we don't see it. Now, this is my personal opinion. And it probably differs from some people that that look at the book of Hebrews. I don't think the writer of Hebrews has her in mind. Because I don't see any faith out of her. I see doubt and unbelief. And what God had been doing on a daily basis eventually eroded and did not minister to her faith until this thing came along, now I know that you're a man of God. Are you kidding me? This is on the level of Israel receiving manna every day and then complaining to God. And God didn't see faith in them. I don't see faith in this woman. I do not think that this is the one that, she, that he has in mind or any of the ones that he has in mind. He does use women plural. Because of that, a lot of people lump both of these into the same category. But I'll bet there were some others. <laughs> Now, Elijah is not the greatest man of faith at this particular point, but one thing on Elijah's side is this hasn't been done before. No one's asked God to bring somebody back from the dead. He's doing something that no one's ever done. Asking God for something that hasn't happened. At least as far as we know it hasn't happened. So that's... Um, I, can, I think we can excuse a little bit of uncertainty in that p- particular situation. But um, I don't see faith in her at all. So I don't don't look at that one. But 2 Kings chapter 4, we do look at faith. I do see faith in this one, certainly. And this is with the Shunammite son, the one who just stepped out and built a room for the prophet so that whenever he came on by, he had a place to stay. That was his place. And after she had done that, Elisha said, what can we do for her? And it was mentioned that she doesn't have a son. So he said, all right, that's what we're going to do. And she said, look, don't get my hopes up. And he says, no, it's going to be so. And it happened. And after all that, verse 18, and the child grew, 2 Kings 4, 8, verse 18. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat her on her knees till noon and then died. Now, sometimes we can read past that so so fast, but think about this. As a mom, you have your son, your only son, who sits on your lap complaining of a headache, and you hold him. And over the course of time, he dies. Right there in your arms, dies. Can you imagine going through that? What would you do as a mom with a son who is uh, really not doing well you don't maybe not know that it's going to the point of death but at some point you may suspect it what would you be doing as a mom you would be praying the whole time sitting there you, you, she's doing nothing else but sitting there with the son not having en- engaging conversation with the son she's just holding him so she's engaging conversation I would think with God praying, doing whatever she knows to do to get before God. And it doesn't work. The son dies. She had a, what I termed a, a prayer failure. Now it's over. As far as this is concerned, what I have been able to do is done. So she said to a servant, carry him no, wrong one Verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. I think some of the reasons she put him up there is not because there's a certain anointing up there. But she wants what has gone on to not be told. Because when her husband asks her about it, she doesn't say what's going on. So if she puts him in the man of God's room, no one's going in there. She's bold enough to go in there because that's her personality. We've talked about her before. She has that kind of a bold personality. And She knows the man of God isn't there. And no one else is going to go in the room but her. So she goes in, puts him in the on, on the bed, and then closes the door. Well, if the door is closed, no one's going in. No one's going to be able to peek in. So only she knows what has happened. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. She doesn't say, she doesn't lie here or anything. It's just, it's this is not something that she wants to talk about. She doesn't want to, to get involved with it. Just understand that there are some times that it's not time to be talking about what's going on. And you just say, look, it's okay. Isn't lying about what's going on. It's just not time to talk. And he may not have been the strongest person of faith. And if she shared this with him, he may have been boohooing and, and all kinds of stuff would have been going on and just gnawing at her faith. No, you can't leave now and whatever. And she has a plan, way to, to get past all this. So she says, look, it's all right. Just get me, get me a donkey. Then she sat on a donkey and said to the servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. (laughs) So we're we're going fast. As fast as we can go on a donkey. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, It is well with you. Or is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. (laughs) well. Hmm. I didn't look that one up in Hebrew. I meant to at one point, but I got caught up with some other things. I uh, was going to look at what the Hebrew word was they were talking here. I have a suspicion I know what it is, but I didn't spend the time to to do that. I was wondering if Shalom was involved with that at all. But whatever it is, She answered, It is well. When she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. This is the man who expects to hear things from God. He expects to know what's going on so he can deal with it ahead of time. And he says, I don't know about this one. Hmm. I wonder if, uh, the woman said, God, don't tell, don't tell them about this one. I'll tell him when I get there. I don't know if she said that or not, but Elisha is very used to God talking to him and telling him these, these particular things. And this one didn't, and he was kind of surprised at it. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Now see, his radar is already up. Something is wrong. And he went over the three main things. He said, are, are you alright? Is your husband alright? How about the child? Is the child alright? Because those are the three main things that are important in her life. <laughs> I guess is how he sees it. And uh, one of them has got to be off. And she says it as well. But then her reaction here, "Uh-uh, something is really going on. Something is really severe. I know this woman. She doesn't respond like this for little things. This is something big. And I don't know what it is. I would think something this big God would tell me. But He hasn't told me about this one. And so Gehazi is ready to jump in because here she is throwing herself at the man of God, at His feet, and He's, uh, He's not sure what to do. He's thinking maybe I gotta protect the man of God, whatever it is. And so Elisha says, no, don't do that. So she said, did I, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She still doesn't say He's dead. But he picks up on it. He knows something is wrong. He suspects it is one of those three areas. And when she brings up the sun, she knows she's not coming here because he's got a headache. Because he's got a cold or a flu. She's coming here because something severe is going on. Anything else, she'd wait until I got there. But something has happened today. And it was so immediate, she came here to get me. now we don't know what all he was involved with we know he has a circuit that he travels in and that's why she knew where to go get him because he had a he had a pattern of where he went and so she knows where to go he spent time in her home he probably told her I go over here, I go over here, I go over here, I go over here so she knows at this time he's over here and so she just goes there she knows that he's very consistent in where where he goes and she went to there So then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened now we don't know a whole lot about Gehazi but the one thing I do know is that he's fast <laughs> at least he's faster than Elisha <laughs> because when he sees the Shunammite woman coming Elisha doesn't go running out after him he sends him <laughs> go on down there and find out what's going on you'll get there faster <laughs> and when speed is of the essence he says Gehazi take my staff put it on on the child because you'll get there before we will and sends him on. Not only does he get there, he does all that, and he comes back and gets them. So the guy seems to be fast. I'm sure he's not walking. Mm-hmm. So he went on ahead of them, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. In other words, the child still dead. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in there for shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Now think about this what's going on around here in the on the farm that they have. Uh, Elisha has a schedule he doesn't bear from it at least not very often and so all of a sudden the 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 husband who uh, asked her why are you going it's okay, but I need to go and now Gehazi, the servant, comes running back into the man of God's room and then comes back out and runs on back down the road. And he doesn't say anything. If, if you were the husband and you saw the servant of the man of God come running down, running into your house and up into the room, would you have a couple of questions? Would you be insistent on getting an answer? So more than likely, this man... Comes out and if he doesn't catch Gehazi on his way in, he certainly caught him on his way out. And he says, stop. I need to ask you something. What's going on? And what's Gehazi say? Nothing. Because the charge was, if anyone greets you, don't speak. You are not to talk to anyone. Don't address them. Don't get them involved. And I'm sure he's not thinking about the people along the way, though they may slow him down. I think he is thinking about what's going on at the farm. Because the woman didn't want to involve the husband. And basically he's saying, don't you either. And and Gehazi listens. He does exactly what he's told. He goes in, puts a staff on there, waits to see if anything happens. Nothing does. Comes out runs on down, does not greet the owner of the house, just runs right past him. Now, if you saw all this and you were that father and he comes running out and he's not responding to you, what are you doing next? You're going to run after the guy. You're going to run after Gehazi. Yo, what's going on? And Gehazi just goes on. Now, whether the husband went back inside the house and went up into the room, we don't know. door was closed. When Elisha came into the house, there was a child lying dead on his bed. Now if you're the father, again, you saw Gehazi come in and then go out and then all of a sudden your wife, the prophet, and the servant are all coming in. If he didn't go up in the room and find out what's going on, he knows something major is going on right now. And he does not know what it is. So he's concerned. I'm sure he's concerned. He's not just out in the field, not knowing what's going on. If he was and he didn't see anybody come in, you know that a servant certainly went out there and got him. Somebody let him know what was happening here at the house. So when he came into the house, there was a child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went upon, up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out in the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. Now, where did we read that before? Didn't Elijah stretch himself out in the child? So what's Elisha doing? Exactly what Elijah did. Same exact thing. This is what he did, and it worked. So I'm gonna do the same thing. Now he's already seen this happen before, so it's not quite the same. He's not pioneering new ground. God's already done this. So he's just following after what he saw done. So he stretched himself out in the child and the flesh of the child became warm. Now that's a good sign. Dead people are not warm for long. And it's been a while so he would have cooled off by now. But now he's warming up. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out in him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Now he's walking back and forth. You know who he's talking to. If God talks to him, he certainly talks back to God. Then he's talking to God says, God, this is not right this is not the way that you want this to go. I know this is not your will. I know this is the, you you blessed her with a child. You had me do that, pray over her for this I know you're not taking this child away. There's a there's something we gotta break through here. What are we what do you want me to do? And he's talking with God. And apparently in the course of that he went back up and did the same thing. Went back up again, stretched himself out in him, and the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes, and he called Gehazi and said, "Call this Shunammite woman." I don't know how much you got to call her. If you close the door on these two people, if you were the if you were the mom, where are you standing? Right outside the door. You weren't going anywhere. You don't have to go cook dinner, fetch some water, take care of some chores. That's not what you're doing. Everything about your being right now is what's going on in that room. How far can she be? For some reason, Elijah, Elijah does not. How about if you just stay on instead of falling off like this? For some reason, he doesn't seem to call her. He calls Gehazi. And has her call a Shinobite woman. Now before we saw this because the Shunammite woman was far away. She's not far, I know she's not far away right now. She's pretty close. And if he called Gehazi, I think she heard. Cause I think she's staying right where Gehazi is. <laughs> but we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out about that. Because this is all we have here in the narrative. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. It may just be that he called Gehazi and Gehazi says to her, stay here. And he goes inside the room and he says, go call her in. Again, why don't you just call her in? I don't know. So he called her and when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. So he said to her, what? Pick up your son. What did Elijah say? See? Your son lives. <laughs> it's kind of similar. I mean, he's really just following after this and he, he's read the Elijah book of raising boys from the dead. <laughs> That's basically what he's doing. Now how would you respond in such a prayer failure? She responded with faith. She didn't didn't look for pity. As far as we could tell, she wasn't blaming anybody until she got there to uh, to Elisha, and she sort of blamed a little bit. (laughs) Basically just saying, look, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want it to, didn't ask for it so it wouldn't be taken away. (laughs) So how would you respond to such a prayer failure? That's something for us to consider and to think about. Alright, we're getting close to our warning section here. Not quite there just yet, but we will be. Here it says, Women received their dead, raised again, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others were tortured. The word there, tortured, it's from a, a word that comes, and this is Hebrew. I'm sorry, the, in, the, um, in the in the Hebrews it's it's uh, Greek. I was thinking of a different word. But it's uh, it comes from a word that means drum. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's right here. Now, it's used once in the Septuagint. But it's not used uh, here. It's used, I believe it was Jeremiah when he was banging on the gate. Or oh, I'm sorry, not not Jeremiah. It was used of David when David was pretending to be a madman and he was banging on the gate and doing things. He used that word. He was drumming on the gate try and pass himself off as a madman. But that's in the Septuagint that we see see that being used. But it basically means this, to stretch on an instrument of torture resembling a drum and thus beat to death. But basically they had an instrument, it looked like a big drum. I tried to find a picture of it to bring this out here for you. But... Uh, I was not able to do it. Every time I tried to do a search for this in Google, it kept trying to change the word to something else because it didn't think it was a real word. Uh, it is a real word. <laughs> Usually it can recognize a lot of the Greek things we did and it did give me a couple definitions on it but no pictures. If you get into the picture area, it goes off on something else and those aren't the pictures that we wanted. But alright, here we're going to read from 2nd um, Maccabees, and this is the part that if you have young children, anyone squeamish, stop listening for a little bit. Because we're going to read two chapters here in Maccabees. And um, they are kind of kind of uh, gory and graphic. So here in verse uh, one of chapter six, not long after that the king sent an elderly Athenian to force the Jews to abandon their religion and their customs and their ancestors. This is Antiochus IV. The famous Antiochus. He was also to defile their temple by dedicating it to the Olympian god Zeus. we talked about that in the end times. The temple on Mount Gerizim was to be officially named. The oppression was harsh and almost intolerable. Gentiles filled the temple with drinking parties and all sorts of immorality. Filled the temple, God's house, with drinking parties and all sorts of immoralities. They even had intercourse with prostitutes there in the temple. Continuing on. Forbidden objects were brought into the temple and the altar was covered with detestable sacrifices prohibited by our law. Now we read in other parts, you know, this involved pigs. They were slaughtered in the temple, the desecrated. It was impossible to observe the Sabbath to celebrate any of the traditional festivals or even so much as to admit to being a Jew. Each month when the king's birthday was celebrated, he had a birthday he celebrated each each month, (laughs) the Jews were compelled by brute force to eat the intestines of sacrificial animals. Then during the festival, in honor of the wine god Dionysus, they were required to wear ivy wreaths on their heads and march in procession. On the vice of Ptolemy, the neighboring Greek cities. Were also instructed to require Jews to eat the sacrifices. They were told to put to death every Jew who refused to adopt the Greek way of life. It was easy to see the hard that hard times were ahead. For example, two women were arrested for having their babies circumcised. They were paraded along the city with their babies hanging from their breasts. Then they were thrown down from the city wall. On another occasion, Philip was told that some Jews had gathered in a nearby cave to observe the Sabbath in secret. Philip attacked and burned them all alive. They had such respect for the Sabbath that they would not fight to defend themselves. I beg you not to become discouraged as you read about the terrible things that happened. Consider that this was the Lord's way of punishing His people, not of destroying them. In fact, it is a sign of kindness to punish a person immediately for his sins rather than to wait a long time. The Lord does not treat us as He does other nations. He waits patiently until they have become deeply involved in sin before He punishes them. But He punishes us before we have sinned too much. That's a different way of looking at it, huh? So the Lord is always merciful to us, His own people. Although He punishes us with disasters, He never abandons us. And I have made these few observations by way of reminder. We will now get on with the story. Now one in particular, and this may certainly be one of the ones that the writer of Hebrews has in mind, is a man by the name of Eleazar. And we picked this up in the same chapter of maccabees in, chapter, in verse 18 of chapter 6. There was an elderly and highly respected teacher of the law by the name of Eleazar whose mouth was being forced open to make him eat pork but he preferred an honorable death rather than the life of disgrace so he spit out the meat and went willingly to the place of torture showing how people should have courage to refuse unclean food even if it cost them their lives those in charge of the sacrifice had been friends of eleazar for a long time friends for a long time keep that in mind and because of this friendship they told him privately to bring meat that was lawful for him to eat. He need only pretend to eat the pork, they said, and in this way he would not be put to death. But Eleazar made a decision worthy of his gray hair and advanced age. All his life he had lived in perfect obedience to God's holy laws. So he replied, and this is a quote from what had happened on those, on that, uh, that incident. Laazar says this: "Kill me here and now. Such deception is not worthy of a man of my years. Many young people would think I had denied my faith <clears throat> after I was 90 years old. If I pretend to eat this meat just to give a little just to live a little while longer, it would bring shame and disgrace to me and lead many young people astray. For the present, I might be able to escape what you do to me." But whether I live or die, I cannot escape Almighty God. If I die bravely now, it will show that I deserve my long life. It will also set a good example of the way young people should be willing and glad to die for our sacred and respected laws. As soon as he had said these things, he went off to be tortured. He went off willingly to the machine and put himself upon it. And the very people who had treated him kindly a few minutes before now turned against him because they thought he had spoken like a madman. When they had beaten him almost to the point of death, he groaned and said, The Lord possesses all holy knowledge. He knows I could have escaped this terrible suffering and death. Yet he also knows that I am gladly, that I gladly suffer these things because I fear him. So Eleazar died, but his Courage, or his courageous death was remembered as a glorious example not only by young people but by the entire nation as well. Well, what a much better way to to go and what a tremendous outlook. Now you could see that he would certainly be one of the ones that Hebrews would have in mind. The very word that Hebrews uses describes the instrument of death he was on. And the people who had once been his friend sat there and beat him like a drum until he died. So the word tortured there, that's our English word that they use for it, but it's not necessarily that they were just tortured. It means that they were, they died a torturous death. Perhaps, uh, he's focusing on this particular machine, but there are other situations that went on as, uh, as well. And here I'll read another one. This is from 2nd Maccabees, the following chapter, chapter 7. Um, this is during a revolt against the, uh, Antiochus. On another occasion, a Jewish mother and her seven sons were arrested. The king was having them beaten to force them to eat pork. Then one of the young men said, What do you hope to gain by doing this? We would rather die than abandon, abandon the traditions of our ancestors. This is just over what meat ye eat. Think of things that other Christians have compromised on. This made the king so furious that he gave orders for huge pans and kettles to be heated red hot. And it was done immediately. Then he told his men to cut off the tongue of the one who had spoken and to scalp him and chop off his hands and feet while his mothers and six brothers looked on. And the young man had been reduced to a helpless mass of breathing flesh. Or after the young man had been reduced to a helpless mass of breathing flesh, the king gave orders for him to be carried over and thrown into one of the pans. As a cloud of smoke steamed or streamed up from the pan, the brothers and the, their mother encouraged one another to die bravely. These are the words they said. The Lord God is looking on and understands our suffering. Moses made this clear when he wrote a song condemning those who had abandoned the Lord. He said, The Lord will have mercy on those who serve Him. After the first brother had died in this way, the soldiers started amusing themselves with the second one by tearing the hair and skin from his head. Then they asked him, Now will you eat this pork or do you want us to chop off your hands and feet one by one? He replied in his native language I will never eat it so the soldiers tortured him just as they had done the first one but with his dying breath he cried out to the king You butcher you may kill us but the king of the universe will raise us from the dead and give us eternal life because we have obeyed his laws The soldiers began entertaining themselves with the third brother when he was ordered to stick out his tongue he quickly did so Then he bravely held out his hands and courageously said, God gave these to me, but his laws mean more to me than my hands, and I know God will give them back to me again. The king and those with him were amazed at his courage and at his willingness to suffer. After he had died, the soldiers tortured the fourth one in the same cruel way. But his final words were, I am glad to die at your hands, because we have the assurance that God will raise us from the death. But there will be no resurrection to life for you, Antiochus. When the soldiers took the fifth boy and began torturing him, he looked the king squarely in the eye and said, You have the power to do whatever you want with us. Even though you also are mortal, but do not think that God has abandoned our people. Just wait. God will use his great power to torture you and your descendants. Then the soldiers took the sixth boy And just before he died, he said, Make no mistake, we are suffering what we deserve because we have sinned against our God. That's why all these terrible things are happening to us. But don't think for a minute that you will avoid being punished for fighting against God. Sometimes we hear the stories of Israel and they always seem to be so filled with idolaters and so forth. We forget sometimes there were people who really stood up to some stuff. This is the whole family of them. The mother, verse 20, the mother was most amazing one of them all and she deserves a special place in our memory. Although she saw her seven sons die in a single day, she endured it with great courage because she trusted in the Lord. She combined womanly emotion with manly courage and spoke words of encouragement to each of her sons in their native language. I do not know how your life began in my womb, she would say. I was not the one who gave you life and breath and put together each part of your body. It was God who did it. God who created the universe, the human race and all that exists. He is merciful and He will give you back life and breath again because you love His laws more than you love yourself. Antiochus was sure that the mother was making fun of him, so he had his, he did his best to convince her youngest son to abandon the traditions of his ancestors he promised not only to make the boy rich and famous but to place him in a position of authority and to give him a title this is the youngest of the seven sons I don't know how young he was but he was the youngest he promised to give him a position of authority and to give him the title friend of the king but the boy paid no attention to him so Antiochus tried to persuade the boy's mother to talk him into saving his life And after much persuasion, she agreed to do so. Leaning over her son, she fooled the cruel tyrant by saying in her own native language, My son, have pity on me. Remember that I carried you in my womb for nine months and nursed you for three years. I have taken care of you and looked after all your needs up to the present day. So I urge you, my child, to look at the sky and the earth. Consider everything you see there and realize that God made it all from nothing just as he made the human race. Don't be afraid of this butcher. Give up your life willingly and prove yourself worthy of your brothers so that by God's mercy I may receive you back with them at the resurrection. Before she could finish speaking, the boy said, King Antiochus, what are you waiting for? I refuse to obey your orders. I only obey the commands of the law which Moses gave to our ancestors. You have thought up all kinds of cruel things to do to our people, but you won't escape the punishment that God has in store for you. It is true that our living Lord is angry with us and is making us suffer because of our sins in order to correct and discipline us. But this will last only a short while, for we are still His servants and He will forgive us. But you are the cruelest and most disgusting thing that ever lived. So don't fool yourself with illusions of greatness while you punish God's people. There is no way for you to escape punishment at the hands of the Almighty and all-seeing God. This is the youngest of the sons. My brothers suffered briefly because of our faithfulness to God's covenant. But now they have entered eternal life. But you will fall under God's judgment and be punished as you deserve for your arrogance. I now give my body and my life for the laws of our ancestors just as my brothers did. But I also beg God to show mercy mercy to his people quickly and to torture you until you are forced to acknowledge that he alone is God. May my brothers and I be the last to suffer the anger of of Almighty God, which he has justly brought upon our entire nation. These words of ridicule made Antiochus, Antiochus so furious that he had the boy tortured even more cruelly than his brothers, And so the boy died with absolute trust in the Lord, never unfaithful for a minute. Last of all, the mother was put to death. But I have said enough about the Jews being tortured and being forced to eat the intestines of sacrificed animals. Now that's just a few of the occasions that we have uh, been told. The writer of Hebrews very much knows these occurrences they very much knew the uh, the writings of the books we call the apocrypha and the history of the of the period of rebellion that they had and all the stories of heroism that were there the uh antiochus certainly tortured many more christians and put many more of them to death many faced faced death and torture and did not relent from obeying god and doing what god had said and many died So here at the end we see this. In the first part we saw that in battles the people in faith became valiant and defeated the enemy. Taking on more than just a one-on-one battle. And not just slaying five or ten of the enemy but dozens or hundreds. And just kept going after them. The one, one story... Uh, The guy that said you couldn't even tell where the sword ended and his hand began because it was so covered with blood and flesh. And he just kept going. So I put this in there for you. In battles, when you are involved in a battle, don't be overwhelmed or overcome. Stay in the area of faith. Don't be overwhelmed and don't be overcome. When you are facing the battle, stay in the area of faith. Don't let words come out of your mouth. Don't let thoughts go into your head. Don't meditate on those thoughts when they come into your head, I should say. It's not wrong to have the thoughts come in, but don't sit there and meditate on them. Thoughts that say, I can't do this anymore. I have reached my end. Don't make prayers like, God, I can't take this anymore. In battles, don't be overwhelmed. Determine, no. I've got people that have gone on before me and they faced insurmountable odds in battle. And they went out there with bravery knowing that God was with them and took on the enemy. No matter how many they outnumbered, no matter what it looked like down on the battlefield they became valiant in battle. And those are the ones that we can take on. These were people that were involved in battle with people who wanted to come and to kill you. Take your very life. We are involved in battles that don't involve that. There's still great battles. But just remember who went on before us. In battles, don't be overwhelmed or overcome. In prayer failures, don't look at what has happened as a determinant of the will of God. Don't look at what has happened as the determinant of the will of God. Sometimes we can look at, well, my my son died. That must be the will of God. Well, this happened. This must be the will of God. Well, since this went on, this must be the will of God. No, Hebrews is using people who saw something happen, but determined that the will of God is made known in His Word, not by what happens to me. And keep that in mind. If we have a prayer failure... We have exhausted everything that we can do in prayer, and it still didn't come about. Don't take that as the will of God. Just as the woman went out there and she said, No, we're gonna we're gonna find another way. And she went on, she went to the man of God. Man who started it all. She didn't involve anyone else. She kept herself in a place of faith. They become despaired and say, oh, this is too much for me to handle. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't bear it. Didn't let those things come out of her mouth. She just went on. Even telling the guy, you drive this thing hard. <laughs> and unless I tell you to stop, you don't worry about it. I can endure it. And in death, know that deliverance is not the only victory. Pull verse thirty-five again, if you would, for us. Mm. Hebrews eleven, thirty-five. I can go back and get it too, if that's okay. There we go. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured. I don't think I emphasize this enough. Not accepting deliverance, that they may attain a better resurrection. Deliverance was provided long as they would compromise in some way. The seven sons and the woman did not accept deliverance. Eleazar was given a deliverance. He said, no, I'm not taking that. I'm going to have a more excellent resurrection. And when we read the story of Maccabees, I'll tell you, Eleazar fits this. It's like he, he saw what he did and just wrote about it. In death, know that deliverance is not the only victory. There are other victories to be had. And that's what these people knew. Many in the days of, of Paul, New Testament saints, faced all sorts of uh, death, tribulation. The book of Revelations and the letters to the churches even warned some, hey, some of you guys are going to die. You're going to die. But it's all right. You're going to be martyrs for the cause and there's going to be a crown on the other side. Don't be concerned. In battles, don't be overwhelmed or overcome. In prayer failures, don't let what has happened be the determinant of the will of God. And in death, know that deliverance is not the only victory. Father, we thank you so much for all these that have gone on before. I thank you for the way that they're all just compiled here in Hebrews for us to look back and to see what great faith these people had. Staring death in the face, not just death, but a torturous death. Can't even imagine what it would be like to be watching family members sliced up, put into a frying pan until they died. But that did not weaken them, did not cause them to back down. Father, for the things that we face in this life, probably nothing near as great as what they faced. And if they went on before and stood tall, so can we. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Any comments, questions, or anything I missed? First one. Did I turn it off? I did. Jonathan? Oh, yes. He's the one I, I reserve the right to go back to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go over the whole story. I love that story, but we hardly ever seem to, to go back to that particular one. Jonathan is is certainly in my top five of Old Testament... Uh, heroes he just was an outstanding individual (laughs) yep he sure didn't seem to inherit that craziness (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. all right Uh, next Wednesday we do not have service Uh, we'll probably put up a note on Facebook just to remind everybody but no service next Wednesday Day before Thanksgiving, too many people are home prepping for meals the next day. So we've just learned over the years that this is not a good day to have, have Wednesday night service. So no Wednesday night service next week. We will, uh, um, take that up on, uh, the following week. We'll, we'll pick up here. We're still in chapter 11 when we get together here two weeks and we'll, uh, I don't know. We, we couldn't make it through all the way next week. Depends on whether I detour my, us on, on Jonathan or not. I'll go back through and look when was the last time we covered Jonathan and, and see if we need to, to go back there and spend some time. Uh, one more thing, uh, for Sunday. Um, we have, uh, I know that the Children's Church wants to go out and then do the shopping. But, um, I don't have, I guess I have good news and bad news for you on that. Uh, the good news is there's nothing to shop for except for turkeys. Now, everything's been bought. We had a couple of people who called in this week and asked what was on the list. And so everything that is on that list is has been provided or will be by Sunday. Um, so I was kind of surprised. I don't think it's ever happened before. I don't think we did six baskets before and, and have all of them taken care of. Uh, we do need the, the turkeys yet, but don't need the, the food. So if there's no need for the shopping, perhaps we can get our Sunday school meeting in and, and our uh, children's church staff meeting in so that we can do that instead of the uh, of the shopping. So um, that's something we, we can do. We will need six turkeys, and we can work on just getting those things uh, throughout the week, whatever you, we want to do in there. I know the kids do like forward to, to going out there and shop, but unfortunately the people in the church did the shopping. So it's all there. Um, and we'll have it all all here by Sunday. So well, I was kinda of thinking that was it and I wanted to look it up but I uh I didn't. Thank you for that.